Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is so good to see you here. Uh, I need a reaction. You got to give me some kind of... Thank you. That was a little that was a little tense there for a second. It is so good to see you. I want to welcome our online gathering as well. We're super glad that you're here. And uh, man, today is the first day of our the rest of our lives together. And uh, I could not be more excited, but we're going to do things in order. So the first thing I want to do is I would like you to join me in honoring Chuck and Billy Stecker for the hero's work they have done. Uh, Chuck and Billy, would you stand? Man, love you guys so much. It is, uh, we have a long history together and now a long future together, and it's great. We're going to give you an opportunity coming up in several weeks to honor them in a more official and fun party kind of way, and so be watching uh, for that. Uh, I have been uh, on the edge of my seat, spiritually speaking, uh, about this moment and about this future together. And uh, it, is, it is surreal to me. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jim, and I am uh, the lead pastor of Summit Church starting today. So uh, I'm glad to, glad to have you here. Uh, that, may, that may mean nothing to you, so that's okay. Uh, but here's the deal. On the, uh, on the last several weeks of my life, I have been frustrated that I could not get God to speak to me with a lot of clarity about where we're going to go together as a church. And I felt like what he was saying is, hey, love and lead well to the very last day at Evergreen, where I came from. And so uh, we did that. And we also had to sell a home and pack up belongings and do all of that. My wife, Sue, is it's killing her that she's not here. We found on our Loading day, we found a mechanical issue in her car, had to have a radiator replaced, which was uh, delayed. So she's on the road right now, coming from Ogden, Utah to here. She'll be here this afternoon. Uh, she can't wait to be a part of this with us. Uh, but on my drive here, I've got to tell you that uh, the church that we left in Washington has been praying for you uh, with genuine, robust love. And uh, one of them bought me this shirt so I could be a home. I got a whole bag of Denver Bronco paraphernalia so I could be a, a homer right from day one. So today's the day the Broncos win their first game for the season. Uh, Russ is going to throw for 400 yards because he and I are reunited. And uh, uh, anyway, the drive here for two days uh, on uh, Wednesday and Thursday just such a profound sense of God's presence, of his voice, of his heart for you, for us, for this front range, for what God wants to do together, for the vision he has in his heart for us as the people of God. And so here's what I want to say to you. Um, we are family, and uh, for some of you, I'll have to earn that credibility role in your life as family member. And uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, every part, everything in me wants to hit the ground already in fifth gear and flying. But I know that we're going to be in a process together. But here's what I want to tell you. Uh, we're a family. We are the people of God that he has placed right here 
to be his people, to walk with him with intimacy and life and uh, freedom and wholeness, and to bring his heart to this region, and um, the best is yet to come. And so what I want to start with is I want us to pray together. And I want to ask you to have an inordinate commitment. We're going to start a nine-week journey together today. Um, The Lord put in my heart uh, in December of last year two words, resilience and fidelity. And he called me as 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 a man, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, uh, as a pastor, to be growing this entire year in resilience and fidelity. Resilience meaning that we can go through anything, that we can endure storms. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, the culture is shifting. Lots of things are going on, and God has called us to be people of resilience. We are strong. We can not only survive, we can prevail, but also people of fidelity. That is faithful to God, faithful to his word. And so uh, because God already knew I was going to be here and I did not, that call to resilience and fidelity includes you because he already knew when he put that in my heart that I would be here. So we're picking up the conversation of resilience, fidelity. We're going to finish this year really focused. And so for these nine weeks, we're going to focus on uh, deepening the work of Jesus in our own hearts, being uh, full disciples of Christ, having the work of God integrated into every part of who we are so that we can be people of resilience and fidelity uh, individually, in our homes, together as a church, and as communities throughout, our, throughout this community. So, uh, so what I want to ask you to do is make an inordinate commitment for the next nine weeks. If you can't be here in person, join us online, uh, watch it after, listen after. I believe God's going to take us on a significant journey together right off the bat, and I don't want you to miss any of it. If you're new today and a guest today, welcome. You can be family with us too. We're both new, you and me, and so uh, glad that you're here. And uh, so if you don't mind, uh, could we just bow our hearts together and ask God to already weave us into a family uh, with this new family member, with Sue, uh, and that he would unite us with him, with his heart for this place. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful. Uh, I can't even describe how many emotions fly through me. And Lord, the process you have gone through to to make this happen, it truly is a work of God. And so I pray for each of us together as as the family of Summit Church, Lord, that you would miraculously, supernaturally weave our hearts together as one. Help us to be a unified body full of joy and the presence of God and the goodness of God. Help us to be healthy and whole. Help us to be the people of God that you want us to be in this place. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to to do rapidly what normally would take some time to achieve. I ask you to rapidly connect our hearts woven into one that we can be your people together and not delay. So help us, be with us, and we give you thanks for it in advance in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, so uh, I used to ride motorcycles cross-country, and uh, the first motorcycle I did that with was a Harley-Davidson. It's an Electric Glide Ultra Classic, which is one of these monster big bikes with bags and a trunk, and young people call them, instead of 
uh, electric glides, young people call them geezer glides because typically old people ride them, um, probably because you have to hit a certain income bracket or get rid of all your kids before you can afford to have one. But uh, so uh, I'm, on a, I'm on a ride uh, from Washington to here and then back. And I'm on my way back, a couple of guys with me, and um, I'm riding through, I think it was in Utah or Nevada. And I see this bird flying right at me. And I'm thinking, uh, I've got the cruise control on, I'm about 75 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, uh, he'll miss me. I mean, birds do this all the time. They fly at your car and they, they miss you. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, okay, bird, you know, do your thing, like swerve. And sure enough, this bird hits the front of my fairing and it's just a cloud of feathers. And uh, at our next stop, I asked my buddy, who had been about a tenth of a mile behind me, did you see that? He said, bro, there wasn't even a carcass. Like that, that bird disintegrated. Uh, kind of like Randy Johnson when he threw that fastball and hit that bird. And I tell you that story because here's my observation of the people of God. A lot of people who uh, would call themselves Christians are running into things that obliterate them. Some of them are uh, relational. Some of them are diagnoses. Some of them are economic. Some of them are family. And I'm watching the people of God not be resilient. And uh, God did not design our lives to be obliterated even by a fast-moving obstacle. But he wants to make us durable. He wants to make us resilient. And I think one of the keys to that for Christians is to have our faith in Jesus. So like we're not church people. I, I, we're, not, we don't, we're not churchgoers. We're not religious people. We're disciples of Jesus. And the way to become resilient for any collision is to have the work of Jesus deeply integrated into your whole self so that you're not compartmentalized, so that your faith is not just a thing you do on Sunday or this thing you do uh, on your religious self. And men, we're the best at compartmentalizing our lives. I've got my work self, my married self, my parents' self, you know, all these selves. Uh, the, the way to be resilient with God, to really experience the transformation that Jesus has in mind for us is to have the work of God take place deep through every part of who we are. This is hard work, and this is why few people do it, and this is why few people can endure and be resilient no matter what comes their way. And my dream for you is that you would be the most resilient and faithful people of God imaginable, and the way we're going to get there together in this first nine weeks is we're going to learn how the work of Jesus can be uh, deep into our lives in some very specific ways so that we're not fragmented. Uh, the word is integrity. Uh, Chuck and I have been working on this for literally decades. Uh, that, you know, the core thing about who we are is our identity, our faith, and our integrity. Integrity is a word, comes from the root word integer, and it means a whole number. And if you're not a whole number, then you're a fraction. You have a decimal point or a fraction. And if you're not a whole person of Jesus, you are a fractured person of Jesus. So Jesus owns part of your life. Like my, maybe he owns your hope, 
Maybe he owns your eternity. You say, well, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But he doesn't own your wallet, and he doesn't own your sexuality, and he doesn't own your motives, and he doesn't own uh, your emotions, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really own you. And so you're fragmented. And for us, what we're going to go for here is we're going we're to study eight disciplines of disciples of Jesus over the next eight weeks. Today, we're just going to talk about the big idea and we're going to learn eight disciplines that help us integrate the work of Jesus into every part of who we are. Now, discipline is an interesting word. It's in the word disciple. It's, it's all rooted together. But I don't want you to think you got to grit your teeth and try harder. That's what that means, that we're, gonna, we're just going to try really hard with discipline to be better people of God. No, that's not what I mean. A, a spiritual discipline is just that. It's a spiritual discipline. And that means that the Spirit of God is working in us and we join in the work that God is doing in us. And so it's a discipline to join in on what God's doing because God is working on you even when you don't realize it. But when you practice spiritual discipline, you are joining the spirit in the work that he's doing in your life. And now real traction gets made and deeper transformation occurs. So that's where we're going. And uh, I'm super excited about it. So I want you to take a Bible if you have one or get it on your smartphone. We're gonna do it in two passages. John 16 and uh, Matthew 28. If you can only go to one of those, go to Matthew 28. You can cheat, it's gonna be on the screen, but here we go. Let's just start right here. Tell the truth, shame the devil. I'm gonna ride you hard to own one of these and to use one of these. And um, I will not belittle you. I will not shame you. I will just keep calling you uh, man, the word of God is so powerful. So, John 16. I said John 16, I meant John 6. John 6, 29. So, uh, we're going to read John 6, 29. Then we're going to read Matthew 28, this portion of scripture called the Great Commission. And uh, then we're going to dive in. So, uh, we're going to, it's my habit, we're going to, Hopefully, join in this habit together if you don't mind and you're willing and able to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, you can read it on the screen with us or if you have it in your hand. The Matthew 28 portion, I want you to keep if you have your Bible there or your smart device there. I want you to keep that in front of you. That's going to be the essence of what we talk through uh, in a moment. John 6, 29, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, let me tell you about this verse. Uh, this is the verse that's going to be a theme verse for the entire nine weeks. They asked Jesus right there before that, what does one need to do to do the works of God? And he said, here's the works of God to believe in the one he sent. This entire nine weeks is going to be a journey for us learning what does it mean to believe in the one God sent? What does it mean to really believe in Jesus? Okay, and we're going we're gonna to go deep there. So uh, my goal is at the end of this nine weeks for you to have memorized this verse. The work of God is to believe in the one he sent. Not going to be hard to memorize, and my goal is for you to memorize that verse. And then um, next Sunday, we're going to go to Proverbs 16, and we're going to go through the passage that we'll look at every week on these disciplines. But John 6, 29, I want you to memorize. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Many of us are practical agnostics. We profess a faith in Jesus, 
but we live our lives as if we're, as if we're really not sure he's going to come through for us. I'm really not sure if he can do everything he says he can do. I'm really not sure. So we practice a practical agnosticism. Did you hear about the agnostic dyslexic? He wasn't sure there really is a dog. Uh, sorry. Now Matthew 28, and this is starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They're going to meet the resurrected Jesus. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want you to know that you should never feel guilty for your doubt. These are 11 apostles who see the resurrected Jesus right in front of them, and some doubted. So do not beat yourself up when doubt is a battle for you. Because that's normal. Some doubted. Then Jesus came, and said, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Matthew 28, I want you to camp out there. And we're going to learn what it is to believe. Here's the work of God for you. This is what God wants from you. This is the thing God wants from you is to believe in the one he sent. And uh, Matthew 28 gives us a framework for five truths about disciples. Five truths about disciples. And this is what we want to walk through today and set the bar. People believe that there are lots of kinds of Christians. There are casual Christians there are baby Christians, there are carnal Christians, there are backslid Christians, there are radical Christians. But the Bible only knows one kind. It only knows the kind that they would call disciples. The word Christian was introduced in the, the city of Antioch for the first time, and it was a slanderous word where people said, look at these people, they're little Christs. They are Christians because they act like Jesus. They're all about Jesus. That's where the word came from, Christian. It's been totally uh, warped in our culture. The, the better word is disciple or apprentice would be a modern term. And so uh, here's our big idea today. The obsession of, of disciples of Jesus is to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to join Jesus in the family business. This is the obsession. Now, I, I'm not an English person, so I, I wrestle with that. Should it say the obsessions of a disciple? If you're an English person, forgive me. I'm not good at that. I decided obsession because here's the truth. The obsession of a disciple of Jesus is Jesus. Disciples are obsessed with Jesus. And in a particular way, we want to be with him. We want to be like him. And we want to join him in the family business. This is the obsession of a disciple. So that's the bar, okay? We're not, we're not aiming for casual Christianity. We're not aiming for consumer Christianity. We're not aiming for uh, wounded Christianity. We're aiming for apprenticeship to Jesus where our whole life belongs to him. That's what we're aiming for. And we have no guilt and no shame for the ups and downs of that journey. Uh, but that's where, we're, that's where we're aiming. Okay, so let's talk about the five truths of a disciple right out of Matthew 28. The first one is that disciples are made. Okay, he tells them, go and make disciples. So this is helpful to us because it tells us that disciples are in fact made. They're not, 
They're not uh, instant. They're not, uh, you know, there's a saying, you know, one, 20 minutes at an altar with Jesus can change your life forever. Yes, it can, but it won't complete the job because discipleship is a process. Why? Because we're fallen, broken, mortal people who have to keep learning. And this is God's will for you. If you ever want to do a word study in the scriptures on what is God's will for your life, um, whenever I hang out with high school students, uh, I, probably five times in five different cities, I've handed high school students index cards with a pencil Write down any question you want, and I'll answer them. And there are three questions that come back every single time. One, how far can I go on a date? Two, is masturbation sin? And three, how can I know the will of God for my life? Well, if you do it, I'm not going to answer the other two this morning. We can play with that later if you want to. Uh, How do I know the will of God? If you do a study on the New Testament on what is the will of God, you'll find that it's very simple. This is God's will for you, even your sanctification. It's a theological term that means that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is God's will for you. Does he want you prosperous? He does. Does he want you healthy? He does. Does he want you happy? Sure. But what he'll sacrifice all of that for is for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So disciples are made. The word disciple is the Greek term mathetes. It means one who is an apprentice to a rabbi. In our case, we are apprentices to Jesus, and in that ancient world, when Jesus called the disciples, as other rabbis did, it was radical. This is why you see when he calls them, they drop what they're doing, and they immediately respond, because it was an honor to be invited by a prominent rabbi to be one of his disciples. And what you would do is your entire life now belongs to that person. They would spend every hour of every day with their rabbi. And they had three objectives, to be with him, to become like him, and then eventually to do what he did with their own disciples. This is what it is. So uh, disciples are made, and, and God's desire is that we would take our faith, not as I go to church on Sunday, not as I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I'm an apprentice of Jesus, and I want to be with him, and I want to become like him. They would eat like he ate. They would dress the way he dressed. They would sleep in the same big room. I mean, it was every hour, all the time. And the goal was that they would be then graduates who would be forever disciples of him while they also began to have their own crew of disciples. So disciples are made. By the way, he mentions every nation. The word there is ethnos, every people group. God has never in his heart wanted a single people group. He's wanted the whole world, every ethnos. Go and make disciples of every ethnos. Uh, Okay, so disciples are made. That's the first thing I want you to see. Disciples are made. The second thing I want you to see is he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So disciples are baptized into the triune God, into God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about this nearly enough, so let's take just a moment right here. You see we have water in the room. Today we're going to baptize a couple of people. Any of you, we have everything you need. If you want to, if you decide the Holy Spirit quickens your heart and you say, man, I want to be baptized today. I wish I had known, or now I have an awareness that I want to do that. We have everything you need, and I'll dismiss you at the appropriate time to go and do that if you decide to. But let's talk about baptism. Baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. 
Baptism occurred in the, uh, in the New Testament. You read in the book of Hebrews that when the children of Israel crossed through the water, they were baptized into Moses. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When Solomon built a temple in the Old Testament, if you go look at that, you'll see that Solomon built a house for the name of the Lord. God doesn't dwell in houses built by men, but his name dwelt there. And whenever they were in trouble, they could call on the name of God in the temple and God would meet them. They were baptized, and this is, this is what disciples are. Disciples are baptized into the triune God, a relationship with God the Father, a relationship with God the Son, and a relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really uh, interesting because the word Trinity is never in the Bible, and it's a, it's a difficult concept to get our heart around. One God expressed in three realities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But God has showed himself to us this way, and we have a unique relationship with them. When Jesus taught them how to pray, they said, hey, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. He said, pray this way, our Father in heaven. Talk to your Father. When Jesus was risen from the dead, uh, Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Every time you see the resurrection of Jesus mentioned, it will say, and God raised him from the dead. It was the Father who sent the Son, who became incarnated to be our redemption, and it was the Father who raised the Son from the dead. So you need a vibrant relationship with the Father, my Father who's in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The Father. A relationship with Jesus, our elder brother, who becomes the forerunner for us, who sacrifices his life for our redemption, nails our condemnation to the cross, purges us, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the dominion of Jesus. This is an incredible thing. And he becomes the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are his family with Jesus. And baptism into the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who now lives with us. On the day of Pentecost, he was poured out and the kingdom of God went from contained in the person of Jesus on the earth to contained in everyone who was born again into the kingdom by the Holy Spirit. He lives with us. The Holy Spirit is the one who's helping us every single day. So this baptism, it doesn't happen because of the water. Jesus isn't saying, go into every nation and baptize, you know, get them wet in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not what it is. Baptizing them into. The word in and into are the same word in Greek. I wish the translators would have used the word into right there because that's what's happening. Baptized into this supernatural, miraculous reality. Does that happen in the water? No, it actually happens before the water. The water is a picture. It's a, it's a public confession of that reality. So here's what I would say to you. If, you. if you don't know what it's like to be baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to, to have a relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that's your starting place, is to meet Him. Having met Him, Jesus only gave us two ordinances, baptism and communion, because they are so pivotal to the eternal supernatural reality of what it is to be Christians. So this is a big deal. And if you, have, if you have been born again into the family of God but have not climbed into the water, I would encourage you to pray about that because this is, a, this is a thing Jesus asked us to do 
to demonstrate to our family and friends that I've had an experience with God and I've been baptized into him. It's an incredible thing. So that's the second thing about disciples. They're made, they're baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The third thing true about disciples is teaching them to obey. Disciples obey the commands of Jesus. This is, uh, this is, a, this is where it starts getting hard now. Um, teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, Jesus summarized his commands this way. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Making it simple. Uh, but he, he talked about a lot of stuff. And just give you two examples. Because here's the call on you. Okay, you say, well, uh, I got baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm redeemed. My condemnation has been erased. Praise God. I have eternal life in me. Praise God. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Praise God. And that's just the start line, not the finish line. What's, where do we go from here? Into obedience to the commands of Jesus. How? If I could obey, I wouldn't need Jesus. Moses gave me the law. If I could do that, Jesus wouldn't have to hang on a cross for me. I can't do that. No, you can't. But the Holy Spirit who now lives in you can live powerfully through you and you can begin to experience what we just call transformation where you don't want the things you used to want and you have the power of God to help you be obedient to Jesus. So I just wanna give you one little snapshot. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, and, and, and he says this in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So now we're into the, the substance of now that I'm redeemed, now that I'm forgiven, now that I am connected to God, here's where the action is. I've got to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. If you want in, that's what in is. But let me show you one more. This is Matthew 20. And uh, here, uh, two of the disciples, they got their mom. <laughs> I love this about the Bible because it doesn't pull any punches with how stupid people are. But in, uh, in verse 20 of Matthew 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons uh, go and ask Jesus, hey, when you enter your kingdom, I want one son on your right and one son on your left. Can you do that for me? And the boys are standing there. They're like, I mean, this is like, this is like millennial Gen Z people who have their mom call their boss because they got a bad review. Okay? They, they say to their mom, hey, we want to sit at Jesus' right and left. Mom, could you go talk to him about that? So mom takes them to Jesus and says, hey, uh, I have a request. When you enter your kingdom for good, I would like son A on your right and son B on your left. How about that? And Jesus says to the boys, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? They said, we can. He said, in fact, you will, meaning they're going to be martyrs. But then he says, those seats are not mine to give. They are the fathers. Okay, here we go. Father, son, Holy Spirit. They are the fathers to give. Well, then we pick it up here at verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant. The other 10 disciples, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think one of those seats might be mine. And Jesus says this, 
He called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. It shall not be so with you. Hear me, this is what a disciple of Jesus is like. A disciple of Jesus is like Jesus. And here's what he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, you want that seat of prominence, must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What are the commands of Jesus? Simply to live with Jesus for Jesus, like Jesus. Jesus never sought for himself. He lived for the pleasure of the Father and the redemption of everyone. He came to serve. It's interesting to me that every faith system on earth moves rapidly to entitlement. The Jews did it. We're God's chosen people, so we are special. We don't hang out with the riffraff. Christians do this where I'm a believer now. I hang out only with believers and I don't go places. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't go out with girls that do. I, you know, I avoid dirty people. No, you, you're missing it completely. And, you know, I should be wealthy and healthy and happy. And so whenever those things don't happen, we're like, what's going on here? Because we move rapidly from grateful redemption to entitlement. And here's what you're entitled to as a disciple of Jesus, to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. And he's going to lead you in places where you get to serve, where you get to become a slave of Christ, where you get to deny yourself for the redemptive mission of Jesus to get traction around you. It's a high call. Disciples are made. Disciples are baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Disciples obey uh, the commands of Jesus. And then we're back in Matthew 28. Uh, Four, disciples live in the authoritative presence of God all the time. He begins the whole thing by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He finishes it by saying, and lo, I am with you always. That's the King James Version, even to the ends of the earth. So here's the thing. All authority of God has been placed in Jesus, and the presence of Jesus goes with us by the Holy Spirit. Disciples are in the authoritative presence of God. This is why we find resilience and fidelity, by the strength of God in us. They're in Christ. We are in God. I love this language. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. That's what's true of disciples. Last thing about disciples, disciples are sent. This is where it began because he's talking to 11 already disciples. Go, go. So what's last true about disciples? They're sent on mission with Jesus to join the family business. Christians, disciples of Jesus, are a sent people. It's not a come and see faith like it was in the Old Testament, build a temple, build a tabernacle, build the, build the Solomon's temple where you come and meet God. No, this is a go and tell reality now. And we are disciples of Jesus who are sent. 
And here I'm, I'm going to introduce you to a word. I, I may have mentioned it in one of my previous visits. It's the Greek term oikos. You and I are sent on mission with Jesus, and it's a very simple, uncomplicated, I love how God makes everything simple. Oikos is the Greek term for extended household in the New Testament. So uh, uh, Paul, I mean, uh, Peter is delivered, rescued in prison, and the guard says, what should I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, be baptized, you'll be saved, and your household, your oikos. Oikos in the, in the New Testament world was your family, your extended family, your, uh, your uh, servants and help around the, the farm, your uh, uh, people you did business with, your, your people you farmed with or sold to. This group of people, this is your oikos. Mark chapter 5, an incredible thing happens. Jesus goes to this cemetery and he finds a demoniac who is naked He's been wrapped in chains. The whole town is scared to death of this guy. He's got a legion of demons inside of him. And even though they try to chain him, he keeps breaking these chains because of the power of evil that has got him held slave there. Jesus delivers him and he is in his right mind, fully clothed and transformed by Jesus. So what does he do? He says to Jesus, hey, let's go on the road. I'll tell the story about these demons that were in me and how you set me free. I'll go with you from town to town to town and I'll even show my strength and, you know, and we'll, we'll, it'll be a great deal, man. We could win hundreds of people to you with my story. And in Mark 5, Jesus says to him, no, no, no. Go home to your own people and tell them everything God has done for you and the mercy that he has shown you. As disciples of Jesus, your very simple mission is to go home to your people, to practice the oikos principle. Let me, I'm gonna show you something. 95% of all the disciples of Jesus on planet earth found their way to Jesus through a significant relationship close to them. I've done this survey in tons of rooms. How many of you have a relationship with God because somebody who knew you prayed for you, helped you find your way to God. They were a part of that. Raise your hand really high in the air if that was part of your story. And if you look around the room, that's 95, it happens. If we knew that there was a chemo that would cure 95% of cancers, it's the only medicine we would use. If you, once you see the Oikos principle, you can't stop seeing it. It's how the gospel, it's how the kingdom spread across the earth is just people going along their lives, introducing their friends to the transformation, how God has been good to me and shown his mercy to me. It's not complicated. Here's the way I would word it to you. God is supernaturally and strategically placing eight to 15 people right around your life in your traffic pattern that do not know him. And your primary mission is to pay attention. And I'll teach you an acronym in a moment to bless them. You, God may call you to go to Africa, but you don't have to go to Africa to, have, to be on mission. You have a mission right where you are, and you're going to join the family business there. So here's our response, okay? If you're going to be baptized today, and if any of you, man, we have everything you need. We got shirts and shorts and towels. I think if you have hair still, we probably have some stuff to do your hair with afterwards. Uh, we could take care of you. So uh, in a moment, when I pray, 
if you want to be baptized today, you can go to the back corner uh, by the doors there and they will, they will walk you through everything you need. All right? Here's the response I want you to consider. One, be baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, you know, most of you already are. Celebrate that. If you are not, it's interesting, our personality types are different, and so some of us don't really feel the presence of God. We intellectually believe in Him. We make a decision to commit to Him, but we don't really feel Him. And I want to encourage you that the Bible says that when we give our hearts to Christ, that His Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are His children. That's what I want you to have. Acts chapter 3 says it this way, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away and you will enjoy times of refreshing from the Lord. So that's how easy that is. No one can do it for you. First response, if you need to repent, repent is a great word. It just means turn around and go the other way. Repent then and turn to God. You've been living your life a certain way. Turn, give your life to God. Christ will live inside of you. His spirit will adopt you, baptize you into Christ. And then the water is a demonstration of that. But man, pursue that. Second, if you're a disciple of Jesus, become obsessed. Become obsessed with Jesus, with being with him, with becoming like him and with joining him in the family business right there in your oikos where you live, work, study, and play. To be a witness for him. Third, I'm going to ask you to actually name your oikos. I'm going to ask you to list them. People that God has placed in your traffic pattern who you don't think know him. Some of them may be family members. Some of them may be neighbors. Some may be coworkers. Some may be people you do business with. Uh, I have a habit, I, I'm a coffee guy, and I, I pick one place, and I go there over and over and over so I can know the baristas. I used to be a McDonald's guy, and I would go to McDonald's every single morning. This is pre-COVID, and uh, I'm in that McDonald's one morning, and this gal is pregnant that's waiting on me, serving me there at the counter, and uh, she says, I, I hear you're a pastor. I said, yeah, I am. She said, what church? I said, Evergreen, it's just down the road. This, this McDonald's was blocks away, right over there. She said, oh, I walk through that parking lot a lot because I live in the apartments behind them. I said, we ought to pop inside sometime and hang out with us. She said, oh, lightning would strike. Why? She said, I'm pregnant out of wedlock. I said, that's all you got? We got way worse things going on in our building than that. She ended up coming to the church, gave birth to a daughter who had defective heart issues. The church rallied around her, fully funded heart surgery for her daughter. She loves Jesus, her family loves Jesus, her entire oikos has been transformed with Jesus because you just have to be there, just be there. So I want you to list them. I want you to list them, and then I want you to pray for them. I want, you to, I want you to bless them. Here's the acronym, bless. Believe for them in prayer. Listen to them. Eat food with them. That's my favorite part. Serve them. And when it's appropriate, share your story about your own faith with them. 
Notice that take them to church is never on the list. If the church is helpful, bring them here. But your job is to believe for them in prayer, to listen to them, to eat bread with them, to serve them. And then when it's ready, when they're ready, share your story with them. Okay, I've gone way too long. We got a a ball game some of you care about. Uh, So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you. Uh, And then we're going to kick off this response time. And after our first response song, we're going to have some baptisms here and we're going to celebrate. Now, here's the thing. Uh, When people come out of that water, you need to hoot and holler, not a golf clap. Hoot and holler like the Broncos just scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl kind of holler. Okay. Jordan Griffith. I don't, I think he's up with students, but holler like Jordan. Okay. Embarrass yourself or embarrass the people you're with. Because this is a big deal. And we want to celebrate that. All right? Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing. And uh, if you want to get baptized, you go to that back door. They'll they'll help you. And then we're going to celebrate. Man, I'm glad to be here. Thanks Thanks for being the people of God. Lord, I'm so grateful. First, we want to we pause before you and, Lord, each of us do an honest calibration about our own redemption, that we have been baptized, adopted, born again into the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. We have been born all over again. Lord, those of us for whom that is true, we celebrate that again like it's brand new. We thank you for that new life. For any in the room or online who are making that decision at this moment, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken them to do the simple ABC of this, to admit that they've been living on their own and not with you, to believe that Jesus Christ redeemed them, took their sin away on the cross, and to confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I pray that you'd help them to do that in this moment and that and having done that, that you would do what your word promises, that your spirit would bear witness with their spirit that they are born all over again. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to become obsessed with you, to be obsessed with being with you, to be obsessed with becoming like you and to be obsessed with joining you in the family business. And Father, I pray that right now, starting today, you would begin to give us eyes that see in our, in our oikos, in our household, our extended household, give us eyes to see what you're already doing in the people we care about and help us to participate. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Amen and amen.